Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you're not worshiping God, the true God, you're worshiping something. Everybody worships something. And if you're not worshiping the true and the living God, then whatever it is you're worshiping, you're becoming like that thing. And you are internally destroying yourself. And ultimately, you will self-destruct and you'll take other people along with you. That's just human nature. We worship. We are worshipers. We were created for that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, in a message titled, Worship, a Beautiful Thing. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are in our journey through Mark's gospel, and we've come now to chapter 14, and we've got just a few chapters left, but today we're going to look at the story that we read in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, the story of this young woman who gives an extraordinary gift to Jesus, who is ironically criticized for it by the very people that should have been joining in in the giving and and then also this young woman who is defended by Jesus he defends her and he also says about her that what she's done is so significant that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world her story is going to be told Now, just think about that for a moment. Here at the time, Jesus is in the land of Israel. He's seen by many to be the Savior, but by many he's being considered a a false Messiah. He's got just a small band full of people that are committed to him and loyal to him. And he says at this point, he says that his gospel is going to go around the world. Wow, that's ambitious this message is going to go around the world? Well, he was absolutely right, wasn't he? And of course, he knew that because he's the son of God. He wasn't just a peasant as he appeared to be. He was God's son, but he's prophesying at this stage that the gospel is going to go around the world. And just think of the billions of people throughout history that have heard the story of this young woman because of what Jesus said. And here we are today, approximately 2,000 years later, and we are talking about this young woman. Amazing. So what we want to do today is we want to to look at the story, but this story appears three times in the New Testaments. It appears in Matthew's account, and it appears, of course, here in Mark, but it also appears in the Gospel of John. And so I want you to flip over with me to John's Gospel in the 12th chapter, And I want us to read the account from John's perspective because John gives us some details that are important that are not given to us in the other two Gospels. Mainly, he gives us details about the people who were intimately involved here. And John even identifies for us who the woman is, which the other two Gospel accounts do not do that. So here in John chapter 12, Verses 1 through 8, let me read it to you. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, 
where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So where Matthew and Mark are generalizing John gives us specific details about each of the, the, the persons involved here. So first thing I want to do is just quickly walk us through the different people that are mentioned. So back in the, the other two accounts, Simon the leper. So this happens in the home of Simon the leper. Who was Simon the leper? We don't know. He was Simon who had undoubtedly previously been a leper, but had been healed by Jesus. Because, of course, if he was currently a leper, he would not, under the law, be able to have any association with anybody, not that kind of close association. So we can take that as as a fact that Jesus had healed him. And so it was in his home in Bethany that this happened. Now, we know that some of the other people mentioned here, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, they were from this little town. So... They're all gathered together in the house of Simon. Bethany was a little village, really, just about two miles east of Jerusalem. So if you were to go out the eastern gate of Jerusalem, you were to hike up the Mount of Olives just there on the other side of the Mount of Olives. This is where you would have found this little town of Bethlehem. So Simon is there and Lazarus is there. And and notice what it says about Lazarus. Lazarus who had been dead, was seated at the table with him. Where where else ever could you read anything or or, or hear of anything about a person attending a dinner who had been dead? I I mean, you know, that just doesn't work, right? If If you died, you stay dead. But unless Jesus is around. And so this man, Lazarus, he had died. Now, remember... He is the brother of Martha. So Martha is now mentioned. And Martha served. And we know from another passage that we'll look at later that that was Martha's thing. She was a person who really served. And now we discover that the woman with the alabaster box is none other than Mary. Mary of Bethany. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, Just so you know, because somebody asked me this in between services, there's another story in Luke's gospel about a woman who comes into a home and she falls at the feet of Jesus. She begins to 
she's weeping and she begins to wash her, uh, the feet of Jesus with her tears and, and wipe his feet with her hair. That is a different story. It's not the same person. It's an entirely different context. That's in the home of a Pharisee. And that is a woman who had a background, obviously a sinful background. So even though there's similarities, it's not the same story. Just so you know. So this is Mary. She's known as Mary of Bethany. That was the, the town, as I said, that she was from. And she's the one who brings this extravagant gift and gives it to Jesus. And then there's one other person that's mentioned here, and that is Judas. Now, in Matthew and in Mark, when they talk about the criticism that comes to Mary, Matthew says that the criticism came from the, the disciples. He just uses that word, some, uh, the disciples. Mark is even more general. Mark says some, some criticized. But here, John tells us that the root of this criticism came from Judas. And John also tells us that it wasn't because Judas cared for the poor. He did not care for the poor. Judas, John tells us bluntly, was a thief. And he saw this as a waste because he was hoping it could be sold and it could then be deposited in the treasury that he had the charge of so he could take some of it. So it's this man Judas, this false apostle, this one who will ultimately betray Jesus, he's the one who stirs up the the hostility against this gift that's coming from this young woman. So with that as our background, I want to look at Mary. I want to look at her as a worshiper. And then I, I want to have us just talk about worship itself. And then at the end, I want to bring it around to to looking once again at Mary to see her as a mentor for us in worship. We can learn from Mary how we can become people who worship in the same kind of way that she did, a way that Jesus described as a beautiful thing. To, To Jesus, this was a beautiful thing. And so first of all, Mary the worshiper. And we'll just look at a few things here. Her worship was, first of all, it was extravagant. This is an extravagant gift. This perfume, this spikenard, it was a a relatively small amount, but it was very, very, very expensive. It cost a year's wage. So 300 denarii. Denarii was was a day's wage. Of course, 300 you know, 365 days, 360 days, you've got basically a year's wage there. So Mary holds nothing back. Her gift is extravagant. She's taking undoubtedly what would be her most valued possession. This would be it. This would probably be like her, you know, her whole life savings, if you will. And she's just saying, I want to give this unreservedly to Jesus. And so we see it is an extravagant gift. Her worship was extravagant. We see, secondly, that her worship was costly. And costly, not in the same sense of what we're talking about here, the, the financial cost of it, but it was costly to her personally because it brought her under fire. 
It cost her her comfort. She came under this criticism because of this gift that she offered. Now, the Mark passage that we read in the New King James Version, it says that uh, when Jesus refers to what, what she did, it says there that she did a good work for me. The, the ESV and the NIV say that what, in describing what she did, that she did a beautiful thing or a beautiful deed. And that's really a, a better translation than a good work. So Jesus saw this as a beautiful thing, but these men were highly critical of her for that. And when it speaks of them criticizing her, it wasn't that they were just murmuring among themselves about how, you know, how could she waste this? What the text actually tells us is that they scolded her. Now think about this. So here's a woman, and she's undoubtedly a young woman. She's in the midst of these men. And this was culturally, in a sense, awkward, you know, somewhat unacceptable culturally. But Mary doesn't care. She's, she's going to worship Jesus. But they openly, angrily scolded her. Think about that. So here's somebody who's just pouring out their, their affection to Jesus in worship. And, and this group of guys stirred up by one in particular, Judas, they're stirred up and they began to verbally abuse her. They began to just scold her and angrily criticize what she's doing. So we see it was costly. But we also see that Mary was courageous because she endured it. She didn't draw back. She didn't withdraw her affections. She stood her ground. And we see the courage of Mary in doing that. And of course, Jesus then comes to her defense. And I love the way, just the terse way it's stated, Jesus said, leave her alone. You could imagine that all of a sudden everybody was like, oh, Jesus is not feeling about this the way Judas is. And the way now they've, they've been affected by Judas's hypocrisy and his sin. But Jesus just says, leave her alone. She's done a good work for me. Now, this is the next thing we see, that Mary's worship was thoughtful. Mary, Jesus said that she's doing this in preparation for my burial. At this point, the men in the room still are trying to figure out what it means that Jesus is going to die. At this point, they still don't get it. They, they, the cross, all of that, they, they, they still, at this point, they're, they're clueless. But Mary, she's taken to heart the things that Jesus said. Jesus had been telling them that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be turned over to the authorities, that he's going to be beaten, that he's going to be abused, and that he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. And it just goes in one ear and out the other for the, the disciples, but not Mary. Mary is thoughtful. Where they're thinking about, like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom when you set up the kingdom? That's, that's what's on their mind. 
Mary's thinking deeply about Jesus. And as she thinks through these things, she gains insight and she understands that this is a reality, that Jesus really is going to die. And so she brings this most valuable thing that she owns and she does this in preparation for his burial. And we see finally that she was commended. Her worship was commended. Jesus praised her for her act of love. And then Jesus declared that her act of love would be recorded and spread throughout the whole world. That's how much of a beautiful thing that was to the Lord. Now, when we think about worship, this is the first thing that I want us to think about. Worship is a beautiful thing. This is, this is something that we have the privilege of, of being able to do. Now, remember back in the Old Testament period, there was a, an, a very elaborate system that was established by God's direction to Moses. I've just been reading through Exodus right now, and, and I, I keep highlighting in my Bible, because I have a newer Bible, I keep highlighting where God says to Moses when he's giving instruction about the, the tabernacle, about the priesthood, about the garments and all of those things, God says, oh, says this over and over again, make sure you make it according to the pattern that was shown you. So God is the one who initiates this whole system of worship. And he gives the blueprint basically to Moses and says, this is how you're going to make it. And make sure you do it precisely. Make sure you do it exactly the way it is to be done. God is interested in worship. He's interested in his people worshiping him. As a matter of fact, Jesus would tell us in John's gospel at a certain point that God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, why does God delight so much in worship? Now, some skeptics and some people that are critical of the Bible and critical of God, they insinuate that, oh, you know, God needs to be worshipped because he's insecure, and what kind of a God is that? And God's on a, he must have a lot of pride. He's on a massive ego trip. He wants everybody to worship him. Let's just understand this. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your worship, my worship. It didn't matter if the whole world uh, refused to worship him. None of that matters. God is, he's self-sufficient. There's nothing lacking in God. It's not like he's got a low self-image and if we can just get enough praise going, it's going to make him feel better about himself. And so he's trying to get as many people as he can to worship him. That is absolutely not the case. But... It is true, and let's just think about it on the human level. Let's, let's just say, and I'll, I'll take the example from being a parent or, or even a grandparent. You know, I, I do things for my kids. I do things for my grandchildren. I love to do it. I do it really just because I love them. And whatever that means, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, I've, I've got a gift for them or I've, I've done something to benefit them or to bless them. And I just do it because I delight in doing it. But even even though I'm I'm never doing it so in the end, I can get them to go, wow, dad, you're really like the greatest dad ever. You know, 
man, I'm going to tweet this out. I've got the best dad in the world. You know, I, 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 my motive is never, ever that. But when they say thank you, when they say, gosh, dad, you are the best <laughs> to me personally, when they say it, you know what? I love that. I, that's not why I did it. I wasn't looking for that. I did it because I love them. But I also, that's delightful to have that reciprocal thing where they come back and they say that. So God has done everything. We, in him, we live, we move, we have our being. We have our entire existence because of him. And for us to come back to him and say, thank you, Lord. I, I'm in awe of your kindness and your goodness. I, I just so appreciate that. Well, that delights the heart of God. It's not that he needs it, but, but it's, it delights him, just like it would delight us. So that makes sense if you think about it in those terms. God delights in our worship. But actually, we need to worship God. Because if you're not worshiping God, the true God, you're worshiping something. Everybody worships something. And if you're not worshiping the true and the living God, then whatever it is you're worshiping, you're becoming like that thing. And you are internally destroying yourself. And ultimately, you will self-destruct and you'll take other people along with you. That's just human nature. We worship. We are worshipers. We are created for that. So worshiping in the end is beneficial to us. It's for our benefit that we do not worship the wrong thing that's going to des destroy us, but we worship the, the one who is worthy of worship. But as I said, God delights in our worship. Now, we think often about worship. It's our terminology that we use nowadays. We think often about worship. We think about it as singing like we've already done here this morning. So we come in and we, we use this terminology. We say this, it's not actually technically correct, but we all know what we're talking about. But we'd say, okay, let's, you know, let's worship, which means the band's going to lead us in a song. Now that is not technically worship, but it can be worship. And I'm going to show you that in a minute from a couple of the Psalms. But, but what worship really is, it's the expression of devotion from our lives to God. We read about Abraham that he worshiped God. He never sang a song that we have any record of, but he worshiped God by obeying God. He worshiped God by, by doing the things that God called him to do. And Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12. He says that our spiritual act of worship, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, our spiritual act of worship, or verse one, is um, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual act of worship. So that, that's our worship. Our worship is we, we've given ourselves to God. That, that's where worship begins. But we can worship the Lord through song. And not only can we, but we should. Listen to what it says in a few of the Psalms. I, I was reading through these Psalms this week in the, in the 90s, and I just, I came across these Psalms that speak specifically of music. And let me read to you from Psalm 92, Psalm 95, and Psalm 96. So Psalm 92 verses one and two say this. 
It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. The story of Gladys Allward is one that inspires. God used Gladys Allward to reach the lost in China during a period of peril and war. The story is one that is transparent about her weaknesses and mistakes, but it's also a story of God's strength made perfect through weaknesses, God's promised provision, and a life surrendered to God. If you have a longing for God to use your life, but have been discouraged by setbacks or doubts that God can use you, you need to get this book. You'll be inspired by what God can do through a life that is willing to follow Him. The book A London Sparrow, The Inspiring and True Story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.